Last Tuesday, I was sitting in my truck and finding myself a bit overwhelmed and a little out of sorts about my schedule and the perfect storms of things that had to be accomplished in the week. And I don't pretend to be any more uh, busy than the rest of you, but for a week I had been reflecting on this sermon text that I'm to preach today, when at the height of my frustration, at just the right time, the Lord recalls to my mind the, the focused portion of this text that I believe we're to take away from this morning. It says from Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. It was a good exercise for me to stop and think about my heart and the nature of what comes to my mind and out of my mouth. And even those things that stop short of coming through my lips through clenched teeth It's no less true that they came to my mind and had the opportunity to come out of my mouth and therefore they came from my heart. And in that moment as a follower of Christ, I was both ashamed and encouraged. I was ashamed at the condition of my heart and yet overwhelmed with joy that the covenant promise of the New Testament is a new heart, a heart of flesh, a new covenant heart that yearns for new covenant things, the things of Christ. I believe that new covenant hearts necessarily long for new covenant things. The heart, though, is like exercise in that it doesn't automatically yearn for the things of Christ any more so than me thinking about running makes me more physically fit. And in that moment, I was reminded of 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10 that says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because... We have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So as we get into our text this morning, I want to exhort you with a few thoughts. First, godliness is of value for this life and the one to come. Second, none of us who are in Christ are as holy currently as we ought to be and by God's grace as holy as we want to be. And so in that we toil, we strive. Third, the Pharisees had the appearance of clean hands ceremonially. And Jesus condemns condemns them for their hardness of heart. Finally, it's not clean hands Jesus desires, but a clean heart. And as we jump into this text, I want to remind you that the heart, as it's defined in Scripture, is the essence of one's being. It is the nucleus of the person. It's a place where the thoughts, emotions, ethics, volition, the will all come from. It's not just that organ that beats inside your chest and pumps blood to your brain and to your extremities. Yes, it is that, but it is far more from that when Jesus asks us for 
a pure heart. When Jesus says in Ezekiel, I will take your hard heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, he is not talking simply about the physical heart. He is talking about the essence of who we are. And in that, I pray that as we read in just a moment, Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20, that that's what will be flooding through your mind. And you'll begin to see that just like me last Tuesday, as I sat in my truck and I'm mumbling and grumbling in my own heart towards, I'm assuming I'm mumbling and grumbling to the Lord because there isn't anyone else there. Conviction comes over me and says, for what comes out of the heart is what defiles a person. Let's pray and then we're going to read our text together. Father, it is your word that brings about conviction for sin. It is your word that brings about correction from sin. It is your word that brings about freedom from sin through the covenant promises of your son, Christ Jesus. And in that, we want to find ourselves aligned today. We want to remember, we want to be reminded, we want to stir up in our own hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. We want your spirit to stir us up, to be reminded of this beautiful promise of a new heart of flesh. And yet at the same time, God, I pray that you would convict us where we are so prone to revert back to a hard heart of stone. Father, lead us now as we study your word together. Amen. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 10, reads like this. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You see, last week, Wes taught us from the passage just previous, from verses 1 through 9, that Jesus had rebuked the Pharisees as they loved their traditions more than they loved the commandments of God. They had the outward appearance of godliness, but on the inside, their hearts were far from them, so much so that Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 29 in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 15. He says, These This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, their condemnation is their vain attempt to earn favor with God by looking the part, by having outward cleanliness, but on the inside being cold and dead and wretched and dirty. It's scary 
how we too at times come into this gathering and one's just like the assembly of God's church. And we look the part on the outside, but on the inside we're being eaten up with guilt, shame, self-righteousness, and all the while playing right into the devil's plan to fool us into believing that if we look okay on the outside, that's better than someone knowing the real you or the real me. Our text today follows both in storyline, meaning it's a continuation of sorts from last Sunday, and it follows in sequence. It's the next set of verses. Verses 10 and 11 And he called the people to himself and said, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. You see, we see Jesus, the great teacher, calling the crowd to himself and charging them to hear and understand. With great compassion, Jesus invites the crowd to draw near to him. And when an invitation like this comes from a a religious teacher of the law, It carries great weight. So that's why we have this hear and understand language from Jesus. He doesn't want them just to take in the words. He wants them to take in the words into their heart that they have understanding about the principle of which he is teaching. Pay close attention. Listen carefully and receive what is to be taught. That's Jesus's meaning. And what Jesus says to them is mind boggling for two reasons. Remember, he just said, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This is mind-boggling for two reasons. First, it's a direct contradiction to the Pharisees. Think back to our text last week where they, the Pharisees say to Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus answered, and why do you break the commandments of God? for the sake of your tradition. We'll soon see in our text, as we've already read, that this teaching that Jesus calls the crowds to him and explains, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the person that defiles, but what comes out, was highly offensive to the Pharisees. Secondly, it's offensive because it seems to undo many of the dietary restrictions Jews had held for generations about what defiles a person ceremonially. In Mark chapter 7, verse 19, Mark includes in the parallel passage these this phrase. It says, Thus he, being Jesus, declared all foods clean. Now, before we get off topic for the purpose of today's message about and, and debating what foods are clean and what foods are not clean, I want to steer us back to the point in the teaching that Jesus had to the crowd about what defiles. It's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth. That's the point of his text today. So let's maybe make a note in your notes to to do further study about whether all foods really were declared clean or unclean at that point. The Pharisees are consistently proven by their actions to be more concerned with keeping the letter of the law without having the spirit of the law at all. And again, last week, Wes illustrated that they had the Talmud, which was filled with man-made rules that were added to the keeping of God's law. 
and the practice of Korban, which was used for ungodly purposes with the pretense that all one owned would be dedicated to the Lord and therefore not subject to the cultural responsibility to care for one's family. All of these things begin to, to, to shape and color the reality of the hardness of heart on the inside, not the open-handed living that God desires in a heart that's been transformed. The Pharisees were not in need of hands that were cleaner, but of a heart that had been made new, changed by God through Christ. You see, Jesus is in the business of cleanliness outwardly by transforming the heart inwardly and turning man to himself. And it's fascinating that this is the only method that works because in this process, the process of salvation, we get the heart of Christ and the only heart that is alive and beating that's ever going to want the things of God is the very heart of Christ. We read in Ezekiel 36:25 it says I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So Jesus corrects the heart meaning behind what defiles a person to the crowd in verses 10 and 11. Let's look at chapter uh, 15, verses 12 through 14, where we see the, the, what defiles a person exemplified. He says, Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus answered, Every plant that my Father, my Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind leave the blind, both will fall into a pit. And there's some great irony here that the disciples come to Jesus and ask him if he's aware uh, that his words have offended the Pharisees. I mean, he's the son of God. He is all-knowing. He is the Christ. He is, uh, the, he, his con- he has come from heaven, incarnated into a man, and has all knowledge. And the disciples pull him aside and say, hey, are you aware that you just offended the Pharisees? And I'm sure if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, which time? Right? We see in verse 16 that, that the disciples don't understand about who he is at that point, and they don't understand kind of the point of his text either, and the point of his teaching. And we'll get to that in a bit. For now, let me turn our attention to the Pharisees as teachers of the law and what they should have been absolutely crystal clear on regarding God's desire for a pure heart among his people. We see in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, Verses 12 and following, it says, And now, Israel, what does your Lord, or what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good? That was a question. Behold, the Lord your God belong, behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, you as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Continuing on in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua is commanded to say these things. Verse 24, 
chapter 24, verse 23. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. First Kings 8, 22 and 23. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hand towards heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is none. There is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servant who walk before you with all their heart. Finally, Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, Jesus made a calculated and pointed decision to confront the Pharisees in their sinful, prideful, selfish abuse of the law of God. And I wonder this morning, where are you prone to use or abuse God's word for selfish gain or a purpose God didn't intend? You see, if God is concerned with the heart of man, then we too must be concerned with the heart of man beginning with our own heart. Is not this the goal of parenting? Not merely behavioral modification, but heart transformation. The goal in all of us who call on the name of the Lord as Savior must be heart transformation, not merely vain attempts at behavioral modification. You see, the truth is that you and I don't possess the willpower to stop engaging in whatever sin we're presently engaged in, but God has given us a new heart of flesh and has placed his spirit within us, and in that we can have freedom from those things that so easily entangle us and distract us from the very nature of who God intended us to be. Heart transformation leads to behavior modification, and in that becomes character definition. In Jesus' answer to the disciples' question, he, he chooses to use two illustrations. First, in verse 18, he says, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Look at the words Jesus chooses and think about the parable of the sower. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted. That's key. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted. You see, God does the planting. And those plants that are not planted by God the Father brings into to mind also the parable of the wheat. As Jesus tells the disciples that those plants not planted by the Father will be pulled up at their roots where they can flourish no longer. Think about your flower beds or your gardens. As you uproot the weeds, you don't want to just pull the tops off, right? You want to get to the bottom and get the root out of the soil so that that particular weed can no longer grow. Now, I understand that that statement needs its own caveat because we know that weeds continue to pop up, but the heart is not missed if we think about the uprooting of those things not planted by God from their root, pulling them out of the ground. We know from the parable of the wheat and the tares or the weeds and Matthew 13, that God will separate at his appointed time the wheat from the weeds or from the tares. The wheat he will bind and gather to himself 
And likewise, the weeds, the tares, he will bind and burn, discard them and burn them. Jesus tells the disciples, the Pharisees are plants not rooted by the Father, and therefore they will be uprooted because they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I believe the second illustration Jesus gives is even stronger in verse 14. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. You see, similarly, when Jesus left Nazareth, his own hometown, because of their hardness of heart, so too is he instructing the disciples to to shake the dust off of their feet regarding the Pharisees who continue to show their hardness of heart toward the kingdom of God, which is at hand in Christ. He tells them, let them alone. Let them alone. Show me a sign, they demanded, and yet the sign was standing right in front of them. Be ceremonially clean, they charged. When they themselves were unclean in their self-righteousness, and yet Jesus was spotless before God and man. Notice to Jesus' words, he says, they are blind guides. He doesn't say they are like blind guides. You remember, oftentimes in parables, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's not his intent here. He says, they are blind guides. Guides by nature lead people. A river guide, a fishing guide, a backpacking guide, all lead people. And in this case, the Pharisees are like blind guides who are leading other spiritually blind people. And he says that they're going to lead them into a pit. And his meaning is eternally significant and culturally relevant. He says that that blind guides will lead blind people into a pit. You see, in an agricultural society, it was often a practice to dig a hole and either use it as a feeding trough or a water trough for animals. And a blind person walking through a field not knowing the landscape could be prone to fall into a pit he or she doesn't know exists. And that's what's going on. The Pharisees are leading spiritually blind people into spiritual blindness because they're propagating their own self-righteousness through the keeping of ceremonial law, not the heart transformation that leads to behavior transformation. But his meaning is more significant eternally when he says that, it will, that the blind will lead the blind into a pit. I believe he's saying more significantly that the, that the blind spiritually will lead the blind spiritually into a pit of hell and suffering where the unbelief and rejection of Christ is ultimately leading all who reject the gospel. That's not to scare anyone. That is simply to say, I don't think Jesus is trying to mince words. What defiles a person is exemplified in the hard hearts of the Pharisees. And finally, we get to verses 15 through 20, where Jesus explains what defiles in more detail. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. I hope you're like me. I love Peter. I love his brashness because he gives people like me who sometimes speak before they think hope. Thankfully, by God's grace, that's true lesser and less today than it was 20 years ago for me just like I'm sure for Peter it was less true later in his life. 
But Peter asked, you know, on behalf of the disciples, give us understanding. And maybe the disciples were fully aware that Peter was that guy, and they go, hey, Peter, ask him. The disciples would have certainly been caught off guard if indeed Jesus did declare all foods clean with his teaching, as they too would have held to dietary restrictions themselves, the Jews. And it's possible that here Peter is making sure that it really is okay to eat bacon now. We know that Peter would struggle for some time into the New Testament's recordings in Acts chapter 10 and in Galatians 2. He struggles with this idea that God has really made all things uh, okay to eat. And you can look at that. We don't have time now to do that. But in the dream in Acts 10 and in Galatians 2 and when Paul confronts him for um, who he's sharing at table with. Verse 16, 16, Jesus' question, are you still without understanding? This carries this sense of, um, of up until present time, are you still not with it? Are you not getting, I find myself saying to my kids often, do, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> um, because sometimes, and I don't mean it, um, I, I'm not being passive aggressive. I'm looking at their faces and sometimes I'm getting stonewalled. You know what I mean? Like you're saying, I just said it to you. Uh, you're saying it and you kind of look at them, they're going. And so I go, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, okay, good. Okay, they're all on the same page. And I think that's Jesus' intent here as well. We do know this, that Jesus really doesn't fully expect them to get all that he's taught them. He knows that they're not going to yet understand because, see, they don't yet have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They have the presence of the Christ with them to give them understanding right now. But we know as Jesus draws nearer to Calvary, he says in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's true for us today. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. If you notice in your text, that's capitalized, because the helper is the spirit of the living God. It is the Holy Spirit. So he says, and I will ask, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and I will be, I'm sorry, and you will be, uh, and, and you will be, and he will be in you, sorry. Then John 14, 25 and 26, he carries on in the same chapter. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, comma, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. You see, even now, the Holy Spirit is our guide as God continues to reveal himself to us in his word, through prayer, in worship, through the wise counsel of other brothers, elder brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we circle all the way back around to Ezekiel 36, 20. 5 through 27 listen i will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanlinesses and from all your idols i will cleanse you verse 26 and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i will put within you i will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh verse 27 and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey 
my rules. You see a heart that's transformed by God, a new heart as given in place of a hard heart of stone. And the spirit that comes with it says that it causes the believer, causes the believer to obey, to walk in the statutes and to obey God's Rules. Don't be confused. It's not like we're robots walking around without the ability to do other, but a transformed heart begins to long for the things of Christ. That's the goal for us. You see, God has placed his spirit within all who believe in him and have placed their hope and faith and trust in him. And that is the great exchange to take the heart of stone hardened by sin and replace it with a heart of flesh. And Jesus in his question seems to have hoped that the disciples who had been with him and all he had seen and done would have more understanding at the present time than Peter's question leads us to believe they had. We carry on in verse 17. And here we get a, a good old biology lesson. And the inner middle schooler in me with not much sleep this weekend is going to remain suppressed as not to miss the point. But Jesus says, whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled. Mark 7, 18 and 19 helps us here. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Listen to it. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. What a wonderful parallel to further illustrate our point that food that enters the mouth, doesn't go into the heart, but rather the stomach and then passes. Jesus' concern ultimately is the heart. And what enters the mouth is biological, not spiritual, and therefore does not defile. Then we get into verse 18, where Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. You know, my prayer is that you and I feel the intense conviction upon hearing these words, that what comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. What comes out of your mouth is the overflow of your heart. And when what comes out honors God, we ought to view it as a, 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 a babbling brook that springs up from the ground, clean and pure water. And when what we say or think doesn't honor God, maybe perhaps a, a, an overflowing, backed-up commode is a better illustration. You see, st our students this weekend talked uh, about this very thing, about God taking in the great exchange a heart of stone and replacing with a heart of flesh. And so I want to charge our students and our adults alike to listen to these words. What comes out of your mouth began in your heart. This is why, as parents, obedience matters. This is why manners matter. This is why we're concerned with the treatment of your siblings or your respect to your mother and father or your teachers. Because it reveals what's in your heart. It ought to strike a chord for us as well, adults. It is your sin that defiles you. And it is my sin that defiles me. It was your sin that separated you from a righteous, holy, loving God, and it is your sin now that is displeasing to God. But for the follower of Christ, his word also comforts and reminds us that our sin has been separated as far as the east is 
from the West. And as often as we are faithful to confess, he is faithful to forgive. Don't miss that opportunity today. And if you're not a follower of Christ, know that Christ is more concerned about a clean heart that he makes new through faith than he is about your clean hands or the attempt to clean them. Because we trust that clean hands will follow a clean heart. Church, my charge to you is to confess what's in your heart and seek repentance and restoration with your heavenly father first and then to any whom you've wronged. You see, last week, Wes concluded with some application and and the, the two that I have to bring back to us today is West charges to reject all pharisaical pride, to admit sin and repent, turning only to God in repentance and faith. And secondly, it was to know and bask in the gospel daily. To know and bask in the gospel daily. Verse 19, Jesus continues, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. You see, I thought about this. I wondered why Jesus only talks about the negative things that come out of the heart. Why is that the list? I believe it's because he's giving us a broad sampling, though not a definitive list, to reinforce the context of the, that was in question, the heart of the Pharisee. That's what was being revealed. But let's compare it for our sake to the other list that we have in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 it says if then you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things that are above not on things on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory the point of Jesus's list that he gives in Matthew 15, verse 19, is to remind us that the heart of, is capable of all kinds of evil, it, 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 that we are not too far from pharisaical pride, that we are not too removed from having that same tendency ourselves. He says, and I love, I love the emotion that I project upon this as I read it because I hear the, the tender heart of a shepherd to the sheep when Jesus says in verse 20, picture it, the disciples are, they're, they're, they're pushed in around him and Peter has, has again said, hey, tell us what you mean. And Jesus has already said, hey, do you, do you, are you still without understanding? And then he goes in and talks about what he really means. And then he, I can see him pressing in and saying these words. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Because I think he wants them to get the point is that God is in the business of transforming cold, dead hearts and replacing them with a heart of flesh that's imaged most prominently and most beautifully and most perfectly in the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. I can remember one of our kids struggling to understand if we would be disappointed in him if his grades weren't perfect. I mean, with tears in his eyes, we tenderly explained that our expectation was his best, not perfection. 
And I believe that God has given us a new heart. He too wants our very best, knowing that as we pursue him in the process of being like his son, Jesus, that's what we call sanctification. We will one day in eternity be perfect like he is perfect. Glorification. Because clean hands follow a clean heart, not the other way around. I want to invite the band to come back up. And in a couple of minutes as I close and pray for us, if you desire to pray with someone or visit with someone, you're welcome to come visit with one of our elders before, uh, during that song or after the service. But I want to bring this back around to our beginning. I read to you from 1 Timothy. I want you to remember that for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. He is our hope. So as I sat in my truck last Tuesday and was convicted about what was coming out of my heart, I took courage in knowing God is not done with me yet. And the fact that I'm discontent with the posture of my heart at any given moment ought to be of great courage because it means that I'm, that in that moment I'm reminded that I'm to fix my eyes on the things that are above where Christ is. So I believe a a heart that's content with the, the garbage that's bubbling out from the heart and out the mouth is of great concern because you don't have your eyes fixed on the things that are above and neither do I all the time. But in that conviction, there's opportunity for courage. So what about you? Take courage. Don't lose heart. Find joy in the process of fully receiving your new heart. It seems easy for us to sit as a church, not this one, but any church, and this one included, on our seat of judgment and point to those who live in their sin more boldly than we do. Still, we recognize that they are living a defiled life, and yet I believe God's desire for us is to look in the mirror first, see where we too, like them, are, are reverting back to a hardness of heart. This is in no way to compromise what we hold true biblically. In fact, it cannot compromise. But I believe this, a changed heart will produce a response to the world that honors Christ and points people to the gospel that replaces a cold heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That I believe. And I believe we are to cultivate the heart Christ has placed in us by pursuing the things God has given us to know him more, like studying and memorizing and dwelling on God's word, like praying privately and corporately, like worshiping privately and corporately, like being in community, being known and knowing others, like giving our life away in service, and then cultivating a lifestyle of repentance and faith through confession to name a few. I want to end this this way. J.C. Ryle is incredibly helpful here saying this. Listen to this. Maybe close your eyes if that's helpful for you, but listen to this. What is the first thing we need in order to be Christians? A new heart. 
What is the sacrifice that God asks us to bring him? A broken and contrite heart, Psalm 51, 17. What is the true circumcision? The circumcision of the heart, Romans 2.29. What is genuine obedience to obey from the heart? What is saving faith? To believe with the heart. And where ought Christians to dwell? I'm sorry, where ought Christ to dwell? To dwell in our hearts through faith, through faith Ephesians 3.17. Fear not, church. Fear not the heart that belongs to Christ. I want to pray for us. And at the conclusion of this song, we'll have an update from our elders and our pastor search team. Lord Jesus, you alone are high and lifted up. You alone are above all. You alone have the ability to reach into our chest cavity and take out a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. You alone have the ability to take your spirit and place it within us, leading us in all wisdom, setting our minds on the things above. Father, you alone have the ability to convict us at a heart level, to turn our hearts back to yourself. Father, your word is full of promises and full of commands where people's hearts were being turned back to the Father. Father, we need that. We need our hearts to be turned back to you daily. Beginning today, Lord, help us to look rightly into the mirror. Help us to judge rightly what it is that you're calling us to do and be as a people. Father, help us to receive fully this heart of flesh that you placed in us and help us to walk in it from the youngest to the oldest. May we be people who of great faith trust only in the promises of your word. Trust only in the promise that you have given us a new heart. And in that, In that heart transformation, would you modify our behavior? Would you change our behavior by giving us a greater affection for the things of Christ, even above our sinful desires? Father, we know from your word that you tell us that you do desire clean hands and a clean heart. Psalm 24. But you require them in a certain order. Clean heart first. Clean hands follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.